Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, that it, with the only professional wrestling podcast that ain't afraid of no ghost. That's right, Getting Over is back to cover everything that has gone down this past week in WWE and provide you with the ultimate preview for Extreme Rules. I'm sorry, Extreme Rules, the horror show. I'm sorry, the horror show at Extreme Rules. You know, I still don't like the name, Bailey, but the card for WWE Extreme Rules 2020, pretty solid, and I'm actually legitimately excited to talk about this upcoming WWE pay-per-view. But before we get to that, there's plenty else to do here on the Getting Over podcast. We're going to do a little main event topic, talk about some other stuff that happened this week in WWE, and then we are going to hit you with that ultimate preview of WWE Extreme Rules. So if you're one of those people who has no patience and cannot wait, hit our episode description, look at the timestamps. You can jump wherever you want on today's show. But for those of you who are going to stick with us through the entire thing, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us that five-star rating and review. Tell us how much you love this show. You guys have been awesome recently. We've had more Twitter followers and shares. We had all of you contribute to the show. I'm still working on all of that extra stuff that I'm going to be providing, not to mention all of the stuff that I'm going to be purchasing for the podcast. Um, but what has happened in lieu of that is our ratings have stopped coming in. No new ratings, no new reviews. So if you have not done so already, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show. Tell us why you are getting over with our podcast. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. Now me, the Silver King, you can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam and my co-host today, Chris Vanini. You can follow him at Chris Vanini. You know, Chris, the subhead, the gimmick, the tagline for Extreme Rules, the horror show, it actually got me thinking a little bit. I'm not a big horror fan, period. Like horror movies, haunted houses, any of this stuff doesn't really get the job done for me. And I think that's one of the reasons maybe why, like, look, if this was in October and that's what they wanted to call the show, I totally would have gotten it. Um, But it it feels out of place in terms of a tagline for the show. And as someone who doesn't love this type of stuff, even though this is not going to be a horror movie pay-per-view, but even though just calling it this, it kind of just takes me out of it. Like, look, sure, there's certain movies like Get Out. Yes, I like that, right? But... All in all, I am not going to go sit and watch scary movies. Dude, I watched the first like six minutes, I think, of Stranger Things on Netflix. I was like, this is not for me. I am not going to be watching this. So I don't know. Do you kind of not so much with the pay-per-view, but do you kind of feel the same way in terms of horror movies and films and things, things like that? I am a big fan of reading the Wikipedia page of a horror movie to basically just see what the plot was. Uh, I, I I saw it get out. I'll see every once in a while, but it's not something I, it's not a genre i go out of my way to see you know so like if if i hear a movie's good but i'm probably not going to see it i'll go see what i'll just go see what the plot was on wikipedia if if it's an older movie there's a clip on youtube i'll go find that uh seek it out but generally i'm not sitting you know sitting down and watching an entire horror movie uh start to finish and you're right this isn't really a horror show pay-per-view which honestly makes it worse doesn't it right like if it was like a horror show pay-per-view you know what, six matches and it was in October. Honestly, I think that'd be pretty cool. I think it'd be pretty creative. Right. But outside of the swamp match, probably not going to get that. 
well, eye for an eye clearly is there's going to be something there that that's could, could theoretically sicken people or whatever. But no, that's the problem. It's it's a it's not a fitting tagline. Like if you want to call extreme rules something, the most extreme rules of all time or some crazy, you know, the girl, like, just like we had the greatest wrestling match of all time. If you want to get hyperbolic, okay, I'm down for that, right? But the horror show just doesn't make sense. The logo clashes. Now they added that, like, I don't know if you noticed during the, the preview, the cards that they kept showing on TV, like Sable's Roar. Like it would be like the horror show at Extreme Rules. Roar. I'm like, why are you roaring? There's there's an alligator match, but that's not even really, I mean, alligators don't make noises like that. So I had, I have no idea what they are doing with the marketing for this, but it just kept bringing me back to thinking about horror movies because that's when you see the word horror, that's what I think about. And I just don't understand what people find entertaining about being scared, <laughs> laughing, excited, excitable from like action movies, crying, whether it's a romantic type of movie or just something that makes you emotional and sensitive sports movies, things like that. Those emotions, that's what I want to feel when I watch a movie. I don't want to be scared. And I, I just don't get people who do. I, I honestly don't. I, 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 it's kind of what you said. It's kind of just, it, it's a feeling that you don't often experience. So I, I can, it's not really up my alley, but every once in a while I'll go to a haunted house knowing someone's going to just jump out you and get you. And it's just kind of that jolt of, of adrenaline and, and what have you. It's a different kind of feeling. I get it. It's not something I'm like super into and want to do all the time. But yeah. uh, I, I do see, I do see the idea of it sometimes. And another thing about this show is that the logo is now all over the place. They've oh, added so the horror ugly. show. They added some red on there. So we got red, we got neon green, we got purple. It's it's every week there's something new uh, about it. But honestly, I think my biggest problem is the way they say it when they're talking. Like there was yes. Alexa yes. Bliss. Alexa Bliss and, and Nikki Cross were talking after uh, I think it was Raw or Sma uh, after SmackDown. It's on their YouTube channel. And Nikki Cross is talking about the mistakes she made. And Alexa, Alexa Bliss goes, don't worry. It's better to make the mistakes now than to make them at the horror show at Extreme Rules. It's like nobody right. talks like that. No one's gonna like, say that. Just say extreme rules. Drew was on Raw Talk. I watched it after uh, uh, Raw on Monday night yesterday, and he's you know he's like introing himself and he's getting ready. He goes, you know, Sunday at the horror show at Extreme Rules, and like he he pauses and he's like, can't wait to not say that again. And, and yeah, it's, it's no, stupid. Did he like, really say that? Yeah, he did. He did. It, it was <laughs> it was under the breath. I, I didn't have time to grab. I didn't have time to grab the sound drop for the show, but yeah, he did say it. It was hysterical. Um. It's weird because like, and I know we've talked about this for two weeks already, folks, and like, I, I, I am sorry if you find this annoying. OK, whatever. But it, it's one thing to have a tagline, as I've said. It's another to call it the horror show. Extreme Rules, the horror show. OK, like not great, bad, actually, but whatever. But calling it the horror show at Extreme Rules, they still haven't explained why it's called that. Even Michael Cole and Tom Phillips have not actually while previewing the event, said, well, you know, there's going to be a swamp fight in this eye for an eye match. Man, this is going to be a horror show. At least if they said something like that, it would have made sense. But you made this point, I think, last week. They put the marketing before the booking. If they had done all of this and then last Monday or this week said, man, it's going to be a horror show at Extreme Rules, and then they started calling it that, mm -hmm. okay, okay. Like, at least I'm along for the ride with you. But you can't put the cart before the horse in that manner. 
And man, it just, look, everyone's making fun of it. Like, look, Nick Costos, you guys know, I used to be on the wrestling podcast with him. He was, he watched Raw for the first time in a while. And this is something we're going to talk about very soon. People who haven't been watching WWE, but are just tuning in now and what they're seeing, right? He put on Raw and he messaged, he think he tweeted it and then he texted me. He goes, what the hell is the horror show at Extreme Rules? And I go, Dude, it's it's a tagline and it's just stupid. <laughs> like it's just really, I don't know I don't know how else to explain it to him that WWE is doing taglines for their pay per views now. Some of them make sense and some of them are horrible. This one's horrible, and he's just like okay, right? So if you're a long term fan like him, just as an example, and you're putting on WWE and you're getting these green and purple graphics and the horror show and they're, and they they're, the way they're saying it is weird. And then a rawr, you know, type of sound effect. You're looking at this like, what the hell am I watching? I thought Extreme Rules used to be a badass pay-per-view where we had a TLC match. Maybe not TLC. I guess they save that these days. But we had a chair match. We have a stairs match. We have all these crazy things. You know, no disqualification, last man standing, unsanctioned, all this. And now we're getting a bar fight, eye for an eye, and a Wyatt Swamp fight. And it's just like, what are they doing? And is, is this actually going to work or are these TV ratings that are going from, you know, 2.2, 2.1 pre pandemic to now 1.7, 1.6 on Monday nights? Are they not understanding that? Yeah, of course, the pandemic is affecting what's going on and people are not enjoying wrestling without fans and, and it's not as good. I mean, clearly you can like the storylines, but the, the product, the entertainment is not as good. Um, and then they decide to give it a shot and you're feeding them just shit right? In terms of marketing, at least. I think that's long-term a failure for WWE. And this is really going to come back to bite them, in my opinion. Yeah, honestly, I think this week, notwithstanding, uh, you know, Raw, Raw especially has, I thought, been pretty good last couple oh, months. Honestly, better than honestly better than the pre-pandemic. But the, the, the way you sell it and promote it matters. Well, that's, that's the problem. The booking right now is better than it has been in a long time. It's cohesive. It makes sense long term. The storylines are good. Uh, yeah, they do change things here and there. People have gotten sick, obviously, and, and other things have happened. And they're dealing with a shortened roster. But you feel like they have long-term plans. Like ba Bailey and Sasha Banks, I know that's going to go somewhere. Randy Orton, I know that maybe got derailed a little bit with Edge getting hurt. I know that they are going to continue delivering on that angle, right? MVP and Apollo Crews, or actually I should say Apollo Crews, when he got hurt, quote unquote, and was not able to be in Money in the Bank, it was pretty clear that it was a storyline and they had plans for him. And guess what? He ended up winning the United States Championship, right? So I am trusting more in WWE from a storytelling perspective, from a booking perspective, than I have in quite some time. But when you then make the decisions like calling this thing the horror show and marketing it the way you are, and you do things like we're going to talk about very, very shortly the karaoke segment on SmackDown, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And, and it's like one step forward and then it's two steps back. They are, really have an issue when it comes to being a product that truly appeals to all demographics and gets people to stay tuned hour to hour, segment to segment, and not just that, week to week, because they will give you something as good as the tag team main event we got Monday night on Raw one week or I should say on a Monday and four days prior 
give you something as god-awful as that karaoke segment that they gave us on SmackDown. Those two things should not be existing in the same company's universe. And I'm not talking that you can't have fun. Like the ninjas stuff with Akira Tozawa and R-Truth, it's silly, it's corny, but there's some value to it. There's some comedic and entertainment value to it. It's not insulting. It's part of wrestling. The stuff like the karaoke stuff is insulting to me as a viewer. I, that's just where I stand, at least. This We'll get into it now. This was not, I don't think, a good go home. I thought they'd been telling pretty good stories for a few weeks, but nothing that happened over the last two shows has gotten me more interested in the horror show Extreme Rules, for example. See, I'll agree with that for SmackDown. I don't agree with that for Raw. I did very much enjoy Raw on Monday night, and I thought they did a decent job selling the pay-per-view, but you're right. We're still on the intro here. We haven't even jumped into the main event and some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Plus, we have the entire ultimate preview of Extreme Rules to get to. So let's take the, you know, the first step in this long journey here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and enter the main event. And we're actually not going to so much start off with Extreme Rules. We're going to talk about the five-year anniversary of what is now called the WWE Women's Evolution, but at the time was called the WWE Women's Revolution. And I kind of just want to start off with the DM here from John Dumphy at John Dumphy 68 He writes in, how good is the women's division right now? Lynch, Flair, and Rousey main evented WrestleMania 35 just over a year ago. 15 months later, none of those women are currently wrestling and the women's division is dominating WWE. He is... 1,000% correct. What we saw Monday night, and I want to start with the good. We're, we're going to get to the bad. I mentioned it. I previewed it earlier with the karaoke stuff. But what we saw in that main event of Raw last night, man, that, that women's tag team match between Bailey, Sasha Banks, and the Kabuki Warriors, that's as good of a women's tag team match as I have ever seen. I was on the edge of my seat. They swerved us with a potential title change. Those four women, they're four of the 10 best women's wrestlers in the world. Honestly, they're probably four of the seven best women's wrestlers in the world. Um, I thought the main event kicked major ass. They failed maybe in promoting throughout the show that it would actually be the final segment. But other than that, it delivered in every possible way. The match quality was extremely high. All four women looked incredible. Kyrie Sane stood out and got over again after kind of not being on TV in a while. And Sasha Banks once again got the victory with very little help from Bailey, continuing their storyline in the confines of a match that they won and were able to retain their titles during, setting up the conflict even further between Asuka and Sasha Banks at Extreme Rules. So on a positive tip, and let's really start there, man. That match was great. And these women, by and large, with some minor exceptions, and we, we can kind of pick at those here and there, they have really been carrying this product for really the last two years while Roman Reigns kind of struggled to still get over. Obviously, he was out due to his leukemia and now out again due to coronavirus. Um, this one, obviously a choice, previously a medical issue. Um, and they kind of struggled with the way they booked Seth Rollins in the men's division. They put the title on The Fiend where maybe they never should have. Brock Lesnar, again, had a really long title reign people didn't want. They gave Goldberg the title for no good reason. Meanwhile, by and large, the women's division has been consistent. The booking's been good and the women have delivered. And I think this match on Monday night kind of encapsulated all of that into a 25-minute span. Actually, really a 30-minute span because the before the match was good as well. But Bailey and Sasha on top of their game. 
Asuka and Kyrie Sane doing great. The women on SmackDown, we'll talk about them in a little bit. Not as great, but then you remember, wait, Bailey and Sasha Banks are two of those women, and they're kind of at the top of the game right now. So I've just been impressed, pleased, and I guess maybe the words even tickled a little bit that the women's evolution didn't stop when Ronda Rousey left. It, it, it continued going, and it's maybe at a fuller steam now than it was when it kind of felt maybe it was relying a little too much on Becky Lynch, at least that particular year. No, absolutely. And I, I made this point, I think last week, but uh, the, the, that women's tag match, four of uh, the, the four of them, probably three are without a doubt future Hall of Famers. Like th- this is a golden era, I guess you could call it for for women's wrestling. Um, and, and something that's been th- that moment and just kind of everything that's been happening recently is what this was all built toward. I mean, do you remember how this whole thing started? It was back in 2015. 15 and it was a page versus page and emma versus the bella twins match that took like it was like a minute like 30 seconds long yeah, yeah and that's what started give divas a chance i don't know if mick foley was the first one to say it or not but i remember it took off when when he said that uh vince mcmahon tweeted it and then that's what kind of started this you know well, I know it, was, they, it, it was a trending topic on twitter it was yeah. like in a, on a non-show at a non-show time so it wasn't like monday night or sunday night or whatever like a Tuesday afternoon, yeah, I think give Divas a chance was the number one trend on Twitter. Yeah, and, and I know like people say it was kind of a thing that they'd say in over and over. Oh, you know, Paige started the women's revolution is what commentaries to always say. But it's kind of true. And 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 I, I actually just went back when you mentioned we were going to talk about this. I went back and watched that match literally like 20 seconds. And it was uh, it's remarkable to see how far uh, everything has come since then. And, you know, that is a credit to WWE for leaning into it and realizing that that this is a lot there, but also a, a lot of credit to the women that have been developed through NXT and just wrestling in general. And it's just remarkable to see how far they've come. It, it, it's it's as good as anything. Bailey and Sasha are the hottest thing going maybe in wrestling right now. Yeah, well, there was a de- the way I look at it, it's, it was two parts for me. There was a developmental period where. The Bella twins, and people crap on them a lot, but Nikki Bella in particular, she really, really tried and really yep. made it, made an effort to become a good wrestler. But mm-hmm. you had Beth Phoenix, certainly, then kind of the Bella twins, Paige and AJ Lee. And once you saw that Paige and AJ could wrestle, like really wrestle, right? It was kind of like people were saying, well, if they can wrestle, then why are their matches 10 minutes? And then why are the other matches 30 seconds, mm-hmm. right? And then you kind of also, and and she gets lost. A lot of people don't give her enough credit. Naomi. Mm -hmm. Naomi came and showed an athleticism that I don't think has ever, and and maybe even still isn't, with the exception of her, maybe Bianca Belair, uh, seen in the women's division. Just she was doing things that other women were not able to do. But then, sure, when the Give Divas a Chance thing happened, and I think there was a, uh, a WrestleMania or something where, ah, oh man, my, I really should have researched this more if we were going to talk about it to this length. But I think there was like a four-way women's match or an eight-woman tag team match or something like that. Yeah. That, or, or maybe it was a four-way, maybe it was a four-way SmackDown women's title match or something like that. I forget the exact situation, but it was going to be on the kickoff show. And fans went freaking nuts. They're like, wait a minute. You're telling me you can't find room. You only have two women's matches booked. One's on the main show. You can't find room for a second women's match on the show. There was hashtags. Again, people went crazy. And I think the match eventually got on the show. Um, 
and they put something else on the kickoff, like a, t- a men's tag team match or the IC title or something like that. But when once that kind of momentum happened, then you had WWE kind of say, well, all right, you know what? We're kind of screwed if we don't take advantage of this because people are going to revolt just as much as they did with the Daniel Bryan Roman Reigns thing. We got to figure this out. And I know my timeline's not exact there. I'm just saying people were prepared to revolt at WWE over this. And of course, then you have Stephanie McMahon in the ring kind of taking all the credit for starting the women's revolution yeah. and bringing in and bringing in Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, um, and Becky Lynch. Bailey was still in NXT at the time. She was, I believe, the NXT women's champion had just won the title, I think, from Sasha. Uh, but brought all three of them in. Then you saw those mini groups develop. There was uh, Team Bad, I think the Submission Sorority, which later obviously changed their name. Uh, and I forgot what the third one was. But but that really was the development of it. Because once Charlotte Flair, really, they saw what they had in her. And yeah, you can like Sasha Banks better. I, I, my favorite of the three is Sasha. Um, many other people like Becky, particularly for her mic work, especially over the last couple of years. And yeah, there's there's people, sure, who like Charlotte. But you have to give Charlotte the legitimate credit because I don't. if it wasn't for her, I don't think WWE's eyes would have been opened to the possibilities. So I feel like Charlotte opened the door. I don't I don't mean like more so than Paige or any of the others, but in terms of what we are currently seeing today, the the final evolution of it, the final step. I feel like Charlotte opened that door and everyone else along with her burst through because if Vince didn't have Charlotte to put the title on 10 or 12 times and eventually 16 and 17, you know she's going to beat her father's record then I don't know that Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch, Bailey, Asuka, all the other ones would have gotten the chances that they have gotten. So she yeah. really does deserve a lot of credit. And really, you know, I hate to kind of say it because it sounds like you're almost shilling a little bit, but Vince and Stephanie deserve a lot of credit too. And, and Triple H does as well because Paul, obviously in NXT, found these women, developed them and allowed them to main event takeovers and be the best part of that product for a period of time. And Vince and Stephanie eventually recognized it and said, you know what? We got to put them on the main roster and we got to take women's wrestling more seriously. And now you look at the development of that like five years later. And when women main event to pay-per-view, it's not unique anymore. It's, it's yeah, like, hey, if Sasha Banks and Asuka main event Extreme Rules, I am not going to be surprised, dude. No, I mean, the main eventing a Raw or a SmackDown is just, it's, you don't even think about it anymore. I, I think it was yeah. it was what Lita's Trish main evented a Raw one time way back when for the first time, and it was it was you know a pretty big deal. And you know we got through the first you know the first women's main event, the first women's tag belts, Hell in a Cell, all that kind of stuff. And once you kind of get that, and I know WWE like to you know pat itself on the back and highlight all the stuff it was doing, the the, the first women's pay per view. Um, you know I, I get why they wanted you know to put some PR around that, that all those firsts, but now we're here and, and all that has paid off to the depth that we're seeing week in and week out. You can have feuds that are outside the tag, uh, outside the, the, the main belt. You can have feuds that interact with each other, go back and forth, Sasha Bailey doing a bunch of different things. And this is, you know, it's great. It's, 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 it's a lot of hit and miss, uh, with, with, with some of the men's stuff. The women's stuff has generally for the past few weeks been really, really good, I think, on, on both sides, karaoke notwithstanding, which we'll get to. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it's been just really good stuff. Yeah, you know, I think to that point, 
and this is the legitimate criticism with AEW, which is that there's the title feud and maybe some challengers, but that's all the women do. Over yeah. There. And, and that, that was WWE, even during the women's revolution, that was WWE for a short period of time mm-hmm. where it was, okay, we're going to take the women more seriously, whatever that main title feud, they're going to get time, but no one else is going to. And I think on SmackDown, you've seen it and SmackDown has been a major problem. Um, unless it was someone challenging Bailey or challenging for the women's tag team titles, these women have not been on television. I mean, Lacey Evans, Carmella, Naomi, absent, just completely. And and you guys know I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Lacey Evans. If I don't see her every week, that's totally fine. But there are, these people exist, right? We get mad when there's talent not being utilized. For the women on SmackDown, it's been basically the entire division for, for the last two months. It, it, they haven't utilized them. On Raw, on the other hand, and yeah, you know, there are some people that came back this week. We did get the opportunity to see Bianca Belair get a tag team match with Ruby Riot, seemingly now back in the fold. They put her over pretty big, giving her a lot of attention, praising her on commentary. They beat the Iconics. That was pretty solid. And she also got a decent promo backstage. Then you had Shayna Baszler come in, run through Akira Tozawa's ninjas, didn't go after the 24-7 title in our truth Thought that was a little strange. I thought she was going to do that, but that's fine. But instead... Cuts a pretty damn good promo on the entire women's roster without really addressing her absence, which was pretty good, pretty good decision that she mm-hmm. didn't just kind of get into, well, they haven't been using me, which is such a trite fourth wall break thing that they do all the time now. Um, so you're seeing them start to incorporate these women again. And just long term, the fact that they have this much talent where it now demands back in the day, they didn't have the talent level where it demanded being more than one segment or more than one storyline at a time. Now they do. So now it's not just, hey, we want the women to main event shows. We want them to have their Elimination Chamber matches and their Royal Rumbles and their Money in the Banks and all this stuff. We're getting that. We know that exists. Now it's, hey, th- that that was the best segment on the show. And, th- and it was only a couple of weeks ago, Chris, where women main evented Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. And I didn't even realize it until I was putting the rundown together. Mm. And I said, wait a minute, did that... Wow, that's awesome. That was great. And and it deserved it. Every single show, the most important or best storyline or match was the women. And every single show, it deserved it. So I just came out of Raw on Monday night, and we have plenty to talk about. We'll talk about the matches later. I, I just came away very enthused with what I'm seeing from women's wrestling in WWE, particularly, obviously, Bailey, Sasha Banks, Asuka, and Kyrie Sane. But just the fact that they were able to bring back Bianca Belair and Shayna Baszler, we've been complaining that they haven't been there. And they both brought both of them back in significant ways, and both of them looked really good. That spoke to me that, hey, Raw, at least Raw, and we know NXT, they're really doing women's wrestling justice right now. Yeah, I, I was, you know, was a little concerned when when Pritchard was taking over Raw, and we mentioned, you just mentioned some of the absences we were seeing on SmackDown. Uh, but like I said, this week on Raw, Shayna Baszler come, comes out, Looks looks great. Looks like a star. Uh, move forward to her, and they paint Bianca Belair as a star with a great promo, with a great win, and it, it it it's a signal to you that they have plans for these people, that they have plans for the women, that they have plans for women's feuds that are outside the title pictures, and that's great news. And by the way, Liv Morgan hasn't been there for a few weeks. Guess what? Has been mentioned on both episodes. So they're they're keeping her name alive and saying, hey, look, she's still part of the storyline now. Maybe. Hopefully not. Maybe it's coronavirus related. Maybe purposely storyline wise, they're keeping her out to build hype or whatever for her coming back and teaming with Ruby Riot. 
but they're doing that. And by the way, don't forget, we also have stuff going on with Natalia and Lana. So even though they haven't been used in the in the most recent couple shows, or at least this week, we know that there's something going on with them. And that's what book, good booking is. The women's division is obviously smaller than the men's division. There's about, you know, 19 women, I think, that they kind of work through. But the, the ability that they're able to use them in these manners um, just speaks to the fact that there's some thought being put into it, great thought being put into it, where previously it was kind of a throw-in. And, and that, to me, is a very positive development. Chris, what is not a positive development is what happened Friday night on SmackDown. I'm going to start with the positive. There is a positive. The positive is that Jey Uso did a great job, okay, hosting that karaoke showdown. It was good to see him used on TV while Jimmy's injured, and he was at least entertaining. The other takeaway from this entire thing is that Lacey Evans does have a legitimate, decent voice which was clearly the entire reason for the segment, right? They probably would not have done that specific type of segment if it wasn't for the fact that she actually could sing some and would obviously get screwed in the end. Um, and she did get turned heel again, which is a net positive considering, yeah. considering she was awful as a face. You know that. Okay, now for the negatives. It was horrendous. It was a horrendous segment. It was embarrassing. And it was 1990s WWE women. This is almost pre-Divas booking. Something WWE only did Friday night because they couldn't do a bikini contest in 2020. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, I guess, this would have been a bikini contest. There probably would have been water guns involved and Jerry the King Lawler would have been running around the ring, jumping and talking about puppies. It's the exact same segment, just the 2020 version of it. It's, we want to get women in the ring. We have no idea what else to do with them. We need to manufacture a catfight and a storyline. And this is how we're going to do it. And of course, Bruce Pritchard, I'm sure, booked that entire thing. So like I said, they wanted to create artificial animosity in the women's division. I was glad to see the women that were on television. Obviously, Carmella was missing out of that group. I hope I hope she just flat refused to do it. And that's why she wasn't there. Uh, but I think, what'd you have? Tamina, Lacey Evans, Naomi, and Lacey, uh, wait. Who, who am I missing? Tamina, Naomi, Lacey Evans, and one other person. Uh, Dana Brooke. Dana Brooke. Okay, so you got four of the five women that really haven't been used on SmackDown. You got them on TV. I understand. Um, but this was embarrassing. Imagine if you, like I said earlier about the horror show promotion, imagine if you're a former WWE fan or someone who hasn't watched in a couple of weeks. And it's on Fox. Don't forget, SmackDown's on Fox. So a lot of people are flicking through there, winding up on the channel. Maybe they're... They're on it and they're cooking dinner and they just come back and they see what's on TV. But imagine if you flip to WWE SmackDown and that is what you see. What do you think about that product? You think it is, it is not modern? You think they are treating the women's division like a joke? You think it's stupid? And ultimately, what happened? You had Naomi win without, I mean, there was a crowd, I guess, to cheer, but I mean, they... It wasn't like a real crowd where the crowd always really gets heavily behind the face, right? In a situation, a segment like this. You have Naomi win when clearly Lacey sang better. Uh, and then you just have her attack and then you have a match, but the match doesn't actually happen. There's interferences and there's another cat fight. Dude, this was such a piece of shit. I don't even want to waste a 0.0 like sound drop on it. 
I'm just going to go straight Bivens here. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. I thought this was embarrassing for the women's division. I thought it was embarrassing for WWE. And I believe Naomi tweeted about it afterward. And I forgot exactly what she said, but it was to the level of, I can't believe I actually participated in that. Yeah, it, it was absolutely embarrassing. It was like you said, it was something from 20 years ago. The idea was to turn Lacey heel. I get it. But man, there are just so many. You could just do anything differently. Do it in a match, do it in a promo, do it in whatever. Why would, why we don't even know why Lacey like is so upset to turn heel over a singing competition. Like, is this going to go into a feud now? And we're going to have to base an entire feud off. Yes. Of, yes. She was mad is. about the singing. Like, this is the thing about when you tell stories, you got to have like plans and five steps forward because no matter what comes after this, it always has to come back to this moment where she turned heel because she was upset. She lost a singing contest. Well, like, that's, that's the thing. That's, it's like, it's like, and by the way, um, another minor bit, a bit of credit, and I'm sorry to interrupt. They were wrestling in street clothes. I know you like that. That was pretty cool. But they did the singles match, and I'll let you go, get back to this in a second, L- Lacey and Naomi. But then the other women that were there, I guess I, I kind of forgot. I zoned out. It was so bad, my eyes glazed over. But like, I feel like something happened where there was an interference or Lacey was being too much of a heel for Naomi, so the other two women got it involved. So now it's setting up a tag team match next week, which will probably then set up a Lacey... Evans Naomi singles match down the line. That's all I can believe is going to happen. Like you, you got to remember where these things start, and we'll talk about it later. But Seth Rollins' promo on Monday took us back to the beginning of his feud with Ray, and it, it right. brought and explained why this all happened. And you need that every once in a while. It, it's just it's going to be hard. Are we going to just ignore that period where Lacey was supposed to be a face? I'm. I guess I'm fine with that because it was never working anyway. She's. Much, much better heel. I think she's actually a very good heel. Um, but so I don't know if we're just going to retcon what happened and pretend she's been a heel all the time or what. But again, just it felt like it felt like there was not a plan. It was just a, a, a one off thing and it wasn't taken seriously. Look, if, if they had plans for something and COVID derailed them, maybe someone was supposed to be in a segment and they couldn't do it and they ended up doing this. Like, in, I guess I could get, I could understand it a little bit, but the way Naomi tweeted after this, it told me that that wasn't the case, that this was booked and they all kind of just went along with it and we got what we got. And look, again, on its own, it wasn't the worst thing WWE's ever done. It, you know, it wasn't disgusting. They didn't objectify the women or anything like that. My offense is as just a wrestling fan. <laughs> it is not as a human being. Like I, I was pissed about the coronavirus stuff because as a human being, I thought WWE was being unsafe. Um, I understand some people didn't like the Jeff Hardy and Sheamus, the DUI angle, because they were offended by it. Legitimately, maybe they were alcoholics or they knew people who were, or they just didn't feel it was appropriate for WWE to do a storyline like that. This wasn't inappropriate. It was karaoke. It was, it was stupid, right? But it was so stupid that it wasn't like it's stu- stupid funny is okay the akira tozawa our truth stuff to some extent the street profits viking raiders we didn't like it as wrestling fans but i it's stupid funny wrestling and that that stuff happens you know you go watch bte and, and AEW does stuff like that also they they have the elite have done stuff like that forever but when it's stupid and bad it's particularly insulting and especially four days before WWE is about to do a five-year anniversary of the Women's Evolution week, and they're going to spend this entire week praising the women's division, 
and you start it off almost, you kick it off with that, it's embarrassing. And they should be ashamed of themselves. It was really bad. You know what? I am going to give a 0.0. 0. 0. 0. All right. Now, before we get to this ultimate preview of Extreme Rules, let's talk about what else happened this week that will not be on the Extreme Rules card. Uh, we have Randy Orton and Big Show Chris setting up an unsanctioned match, presumably for the main event next week on Raw. They spent a really good amount of time setting this up on Monday. It's interesting that it's not going to be on Extreme Rules, especially considering there's a stipulation that is an Extreme Rule, unsanctioned. Uh, I actually believe WWE may have had it planned for the show, but with Raw's declining ratings, maybe decided, hey, why don't we take something off the show, put it on TV, get fans to tune in. Maybe something similar to what they did with the Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles Intercontinental Championship match. And again, the Matt Riddle, AJ Styles match this upcoming Friday night, that would normally be a pay-per-view match. The fact that they're doing it on SmackDown to me says, hey, we're trying to build these shows up and give people something to enjoy. So they're pushing this off to Raw. Um, I'll let you kind of weigh in on that in a second. But I loved, top to bottom, loved Ric Flair's backstage promo this week. Made complete sense, both in terms of kayfabe and reality. Big Show not being fooled by it was good, too. And although Orton's promo was solid, the R-Truth stuff to me kind of felt largely unnecessary, other than just to continue devaluing the 24-7 title. Earlier in the show, you had Shayna with an opportunity to probably take it, didn't. Then you have R-Truth, I mean, sorry, Randy Orton beat R-Truth clean, doesn't take the title. We've already had this happen previously with Bobby Lashley. Title's meaningless. The R-Truth stuff, I mean, I still enjoy him. I think he's funny. But it just felt unnecessary to make this happen on in a, in a sanctioned match on TV. Um, and I guess our uh, Big Show's reaction, that face that he made, was kind of funny afterward. But what do you think about this not being on the pay-per-view? And, and what did you think about this entire thing on Monday night? I, it actually took me a minute to realize it wasn't on the pay-per-view because of, like you said, it's unsanctioned. So I just kind of assumed it was. Uh, but, but, you know, the R-Truth stuff was kind of pointless, but... You know, it got us some really good Ric Flair out of it, and that made it worth it to me. Rick, Rick was incredible. That, that that this last little bit with Orton, he's been doing. He did the same thing with Christian a few weeks back. Um, so good, like you can see, like oh, he's yeah, he's still one of the best, and you see, he still got those promo skills in there with him, and he built up show. You know, I, I love this because he's building up these people who. Maybe we were kind of sick of and don't really care about. Nobody really cared about Christian. He was always Edge's backup guy. But when you hear Christian talk about himself and when you hear Rick talk about him, oh, wait a minute. Christian is a pretty accomplished wrestler. This is this is a big deal that he's going to fight Randy Orton. Does the same thing with Big Show. We've seen Big Show for 20 plus years. And Ric Flair makes makes me interested in watching him. And he did the same thing for R-Truth. When R-Truth came out for the match and Rick comes out and talks about our truth and how long he's been wrestling and how long he's been doing this. So I was like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot. Like, our truth has been doing this for a long time. There, I, I have a reason to, to care for him right before this match, quick little match with Randy Orton starts. So I've talked about how I'm concerned about Rick Flair being around all of this with coronavirus going on. But in terms of the work he's doing recently, past few, few weeks, so good. Just one of the absolute best, and again, we've talked about it before, but considering not long ago how close he was to, to you know, death's doorstep, and to see what he's doing right now is just, is, it's just great. I completely agree. You know, I, I tweeted something like this. You know, I, I disagree with Ric Flair being there. I think it's an unnecessary risk, but clearly he wants to be working. He said as much. He said he wants to be working. He, he, 
he believes that they're being safe and he, he wants to be at WWE's facility right now and be on TV. So if he's going to be there, let's make it as great as we possibly can be, right? And that's what he's doing. He's as good as he as he possibly could be. Mm-hmm. And I've said this, you know, this is probably the fourth week in a row I've said it on the podcast. But as you said, Ric Flair was knocking on death's door. There was a period of time even before that happened when he was on WWE TV cutting promos. I don't want to call them incoherent necessarily, but he'd lose his place a little bit. He'd kind of forget the purpose of what he was doing. Sometimes he is as clear headed and and clear voiced as well as he has been in probably five years. The promo he cut backstage on Big Show to kind of toy with his emotions and convince him not to be in this match. It was masterful. It was classic Ric Flair. It was awesome to see the stuff that he does on the mic with Orton, the kind of the tease that Orton gave of not so much saying it, but hey, don't cross me, old man, or I'll kick your head off too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, obviously that was just to kind of go, you know, big show out. But I mean, it's great. And pairing him with Orton and Orton being the legend killer at this time. I mean, it's pretty smart booking, right? So look, if you want to give me this on free TV on Raw, that's fine because we all know the, the result. We all know that Randy Orton's ultimately going to win this match. So I don't necessarily need it on a pay-per-view. Do I want it maybe as the main event of Raw next Monday? Probably not. But you want to give it to me at that nine o'clock or the 10 o'clock hour to kind of keep people watching, keep me watching and, and give a really big match. I love to see it. I want to see it. And I, I can't wait for Randy Orton to punt kick Big Show in the head because I don't really like Big Show on TV. I don't need him. So it's fine. <laughs> they, they They have us interested and looking forward to a Randy Orton versus Big Show it's, match. It's in crazy. It's insane. They've done is it's it's just really just really done a good job. I I Randy Orton Big Show. I can't, I always go back to I think it was 2013 that Survivor Series match when everybody wanted Daniel Bryan involved in that stuff and how awful that match was and booze and this is boring and and and, and just nonsense match to go to where we are now. What seven years later and we're excited for it. Uh, it's just it's just an it just illustrates how well they've told the story and how great the Legend Killer gimmick is and then rick flair on top of all that absolutely um now this was a a smaller part of a bigger storyline we'll talk about later but alistair black and murphy fought again on raw and i tweeted this also but you know that fight forever chant right people use it they overuse it honestly in a lot of matches i could legitimately watch alistair black and murphy fight every single week on raw they are incredible individually we already know this both favorites on this podcast at least for me but together, they're special. And I really hope both of them get elevated sooner than later to that United States Championship level so that we can get like title matches, 20-minute title matches on pay-per-views. Hell, Alistair Black, we know, is a capable main eventer, a capable world champion one day. The idea of him as WWE champion maybe one day defending the title against Murphy, they have a lot in both of these guys. I hope they see it, and I really hope they keep developing them. That Black Mass counter by Murphy was smart. It's the first time anyone's done something like that. And then Black hitting Murphy with the Black Mass on that middle rope, flipping him over the top rope inside the ring, which would have been the finish, obviously, if Rollins didn't interfere. It was great. They default to this match so much, but dude, Mm -hmm. they're great separate. They're great together. Aleister Black, Murphy forever. Yep, totally, totally. I remember it was five, six months ago or something back when we had fans. I remember they had a match absolutely just blew me away and it's they always do keep together great chemistry now we also had andrade and angel garza defeat the viking raiders pretty clean i guess in a elimination tag team match which 
By the way, if they had given this to us like six months ago or whenever they were doing those stupid elimination matches and, you know, oh, so, yeah. they, so, that, so there was no wrestling that. during commercial break, I would have hated it, right? But this was cool. It was a unique, just one-time throw-in-there stipulation. It was a good way to extend the match. And the right team ultimately won. I was happy to see them develop the team chemistry with Andrade being selfless throughout the entire match, helping Garza on a couple occasions and then at the end of the match as well. It got the job done to kind of say, hey, Andrade and Garza are working together. Then you had you added in the Zelina Vega part where she's like, yeah, I used Randy Orton on purpose to help these get these guys straight. It made storyline sense for why they did that last week. It just all came together. But all that was great. The match was great. One of my MVPs of Raw on Monday night, truly, had nothing to do with the match, was Charlie Caruso, who was absolutely incredible backstage. First, she introduced Angel Garza by flirting with him. Then in the same breath, introduces Andrade normally. And then in the same breath, introduces Zelina Vega with disgust and disdain for her. (laughs) So she gave us three emotions in one sentence, introducing the three of them. And then later, when she's flirting with uh, Garza later in the segment, and Ivar comes up, she gets distracted by him playing into that, you know, storyline, character, gimmick, whatever you want to call it. He gets the rose, hands it to her. Her eyes open up really wide. Look, certainly everyone who listens to this show knows that we are a Renee Young fan podcast right now. But Charlie is every bit as good as Renee Young and is probably a little bit better in the backstage interview role, whereas Renee is better as a host, such as yeah. for Talking Smack and for some of the other things she does. So I wanted to give Andrade and Garza credit. I wanted to give the Viking Raiders credit. They're playing a good role. But Charlie Caruso has it in more ways than one, by the way. That's the most action I've had all year. Charlie Caruso's awesome. Great job on Monday night. I enjoyed everything they did with Garza and Andrade as well. My my only thing, and it's a little thing that I, I might be the only one who's upset about this, but the Viking Raiders are back to just yeah. being losers yeah. and they're... But they're also serious again. Like we 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 get we went a month of them being funny guys with with the street profits. They do this whole thing. Now they come up backstage in this thing and they're saying they're the most dominant team. They're talking tough. It's like wait, what ha- what happened to the guys we just saw? I know that was the Paul Heyman thing and it switched over. But I, I think the Viking Raiders lost. They lost that tag championship match. They lost again. I think last week. They're they're just they're really going downhill after what I thought was a really good month with the street profits i really like that stuff and it just appears to me that uh that has basically been just thrown in the trash currently no the stuff with the street profits was not good let's clarify it was pretty Um, good but what i will say is last week if you remember big show kind of slapped the shit out of them and kind of like got them straight straight a little bit so maybe that had something to do with it where he kind of like fixed them a little bit and said hey yeah you guys can have fun i like having fun too but you also have to get serious Here's the thing. Look, War Machine. They got to win. They can't go start. They can't be losing. Otherwise, that meant nothing. Well, but okay. So War Machine and New Japan, dominant, right? They come over. They're in NXT as the War Raiders. Dominant. Fine. On the main roster, it's very difficult, especially for tag teams where WWE does not book them very well, to be consistently dominant, whether as champions or not as champions, and just always expect them to be at that really high level, because at some point you need that team to lose. And whereas in NJPW or NXT, the process of that happening would be a team getting so strong as a challenger that they're eventually able to overtake them. 
at, after that point in those other organizations, you would find other things for them to do. With WWE, if it's not around the tag team title, then WWE struggles to book tag teams the way they used to struggle to book women. So the Viking Raiders being in this comedy role, maybe being down a little bit, losing, normally I would really hate it and I would harshly criticize it. In this particular case, they're clearly trying to build up Andrade and Angel Garza as a tag team because they're not in the mid-card picture right now. The Street Profits are the champions and there's a dearth of tag teams on Raw. Obviously, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander are one, but you hardly actually see them as a tag team anymore. So in this particular circumstance, given the circumstances, I'm okay with it. But I do think that longer term, yes, they do need to kind of find that dominant gene again. And maybe when Andrade and Garza do take the titles, if they do off the Street Profits, they can be that counterbalance to them as a dominant face team and maybe reset themselves a little bit. I, I just want consistency. This is the pro. It's been the problem with yeah. them for two, three months now is that they keep, we don't know what they are. That That's my biggest issue. That is totally fair. But that is basically everything else that happened on WWE television that did not have to do with Extreme Rules. So folks, let's get into our ultimate preview for the horror show at WWE Extreme Rules. So, yeah, I still don't like it, Bailey. But uh, look, let's start with this match, which is not announced. It's actually kind of an assumption that I have that it's going to be on the kickoff show. But I have a feeling we're going to get a SmackDown tag team title match. The New Day defending against Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura in a tables match. They teased it two weeks ago. They actually used the tables on Friday night in a main event segment that just, in my opinion, was not good. Uh, There was good action in the match, Chris. But anyone who paid a shred of attention to the prior week or listened to this podcast knew where we were headed. We were headed towards a schmoz finish involving tables to set up a stipulation at the pay-per-view. Again, not official, but I assume it's going to happen. For them to telegraph this so blatantly and then put this in the main event of SmackDown as the only real match, really, on the Mm -hmm. entire show, it was pathetic booking to me. Uh, I did love the double powerbomb spot through the table. That was pretty cool at the very end. But... I don't think this booking on Friday, first of all, the show, SmackDown, was terrible. The two hours, I thought top to bottom was bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this didn't do them any favors to close the show. It didn't do any favors for the pay-per-view to put this match on the show. And if it's not a kickoff show match, I don't even know if they're going to book it. But I I just have to assume this is going to get added. Yeah, referee calls for the bell. Of all the, hey, we just want to end a match thing, referee calls the bell because of whatever is might be my least favorite. Right. You know, I would have hated a double count out. I would have hated a DQ, what have you, but Oh, there's too much wrestling going on. It's like the worst one of these. I think these teams have great chemistry. I think they can do a lot in the ring. If you want to do a, a new day Usos type of thing where they fight each other all the time and tear the house down. I think you can do that. Um, I think you can let them do that and keep having matches and it'll still be good because all these guys are great wrestlers. But I don't know, either either give us give us something else to 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 get us there as opposed to referee just calls for whatever. So I'm kind of I'm not I'm not loving a tables match for these guys. If that's what happens, it would make sense if that's what happens. But I just want to see them go for 20, 25 minutes just tear it down, have a regular finish, whatever. It doesn't need to have a a gimmick to me because I think these guys can do great stuff without it. 
That's the thing. New Day has, on their own, been having great tag team matches on SmackDown recently. I mean, the Lucha House Party stuff was great. Mm-hmm. I think there was the three-way or the Fatal 4-Way tag match that they had. Really just tearing... Oh, no, it was an eight-man tag. That's what it was. It was uh, two teams of four. Um, it's It's just been great recently. And Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, obviously great wrestlers. And the fact that they're kind of coalescing together as a tag team is solid as well. But... I could see a storyline where, yeah, they have the tables match. New Day wins and retains the titles, which is, by the way, what I expect to happen here. And then Cesaro gets on the rant about, well, of course you want a tables match. We're actually real wrestlers. I'm a purist. He's the king of strong style. And they end up having singles matches and then eventually have a real tag team match, either to main event to SmackDown, like for real, or perhaps at SummerSlam. The problem is they've already done at least one of those singles matches. Maybe two. I kind of forget at this point. They've already had this heavy build, semi-heavy build, where they main evented a SmackDown to now have this match potentially at a pay-per-view. It just feels to me like like they're rushing it. Something that, yeah, they probably should have built for two months because guess what? Just like on Raw, there aren't really any tag teams on SmackDown right now. Otis Otis, uh, and Tucker, they're not using as a tag team. Otis hasn't been on TV, presumably coronavirus. I hope not, but that, that's my assumption. But they're not using them as a tag team right now. Lucha House Party, very good. They had been using them. But they're not really a tag team title contending type of team, at least in WWE's eyes, which I think is obviously a mistake. Forgotten Sons, they're not using after Jackson Riker's tweet. The Usos are injured. So there's basically no tag teams on SmackDown. So if you want this to extend, man, they could have booked this way better. Yeah, honestly, as you kind of listed all that off, I've kind of wondered if they should make somebody a, a unified tag team championship and just do what they're doing with the women right now and bounce show to show just so just because there's not a lot of tag teams otherwise um they really should what, what actually what's actually a shame is they have enough tag teams to support two titles they're just either injured yeah not using them or etc i mean you could easily put ricochet and cedric alexander on smackdown and have them be a title contender you know and right. flop a couple of people over to raw and just, you know, you, I guess we're going to have Dolph Ziggler and uh, Bobby Roode, Robert Roode back on Raw when Roode's back to be a tag team. So you have them again. They're, they have plenty of tag teams. But look, you're right. If you can't book it, combine the titles, make one, maybe do it at SummerSlam, Street Profits versus New Day, have a, one tag team champion and have them go between shows. And guess what? You're right, man. That would be more entertaining than what they're currently doing now with the tag division. Yeah. So for this match, I have the same thing. I, I think New Day win. Curious where it goes from there. It probably, I assume it keeps going, uh, but uh, that's my pick for this one. Sure. Now, next up, we have the United States Championship. Apollo Crews defending his title against MVP and his brand new belt. Uh, didn't do much on Raw to really advance this in terms of Crews because the focus was far more on Bobby Lashley than either MVP or Crews. In fact, Crews wasn't even on the show. Now, that's not totally a complaint because it's really how it should be. Lashley should, should be the center of attention. But you wonder what the plan is for Lashley going forward and the storyline going forward. I certainly expect Cruz to beat MVP, retain the title, and then take the new strap, because why would they introduce the new title without him doing that? So what do you think happens here? Do they start a program with Lashley that lasts through SummerSlam? Or is this a situation where Cruz wins, moves on to new competition, and Lashley heads into a feud with someone else? I'm I'm thinking that Cruz wins takes MVP's belt and then moves into a feud with Lashley uh, for that same thing where, where MVP is kind of the step to the next one. Now I, 
I would honestly rather see Lashley McIntyre at SummerSlam. I think they killed it last time. I would love to see that more. But just based on the way things are playing out, uh, I, I think it would make sense. I still love, I just, I really love MVP making his own belt, talking about how he's basically already won the match and walking around like he's the champion. Like, that's such a great heel thing. How many heels just make their own belt and declare themselves the champion? Like, I, I just, again, every week he's great. And um, it, w- it was a little weird not seeing Apollo Crews on ahead of this match, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in this match because of the, Partly because of the belt situation. <laughs> like, like, is it going to be one or the other? How's this going to work? They're both champs. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fine build. And I think I think Apollo Crews gets the win and, and takes, the, takes the other belt. It is a really nice title. I mean, I know we did have our nitpicks for it. The word champion being too big, moving it down. And that really would have fixed the entire thing. But it's really nice. And it's definitely a huge upgrade over the current title. Yeah. Yeah, and MVP sells it great. He talks about how great it looks, how big, how awesome it is. Uh, and it does. Him wearing it, he looked great. He looked like a honestly, it looked like a world championship. Type. Yeah, it's a belt. Honestly, that's what it's a belt that looks great in like when you're wearing a suit. And honestly, I think that's important. The WWE belt looks the same as well. The old US or the, I guess the current US belt doesn't look like that. The Intercontinental doesn't look like that. The tag belts don't look like that. If you can wear a suit and a belt together, that's like the ultimate power move, I think. There are long-term listeners of mine that just heard you use the word belt like 10 times in a sentence that are that know I'm, my blood is boiling right oh, now. Oh man, it's, I'm a big belt. I'm I'm a I'm I have I've let I've largely are you, let it, are you a you're you a title guy? I, I've largely let it go on this show. Some people found, <laughs> found it annoying, but uh, what, I, what I used to do, what I used to do is every time Brian Campbell or anyone really would say belt, I would correct them with title because it is a championship title. The physical item is a belt, it is a strap. But it it represents a championship title. The sure. your WWE title holder, not the WWE belt holder. But I just normally sure. it, it hasn't really bothered me. But the fact <laughs> that you just said it like twelve times in a single sentence, yeah, that got well. Me. So like so like we can talk about how the belt looks great. But yeah. if you're talking about winning it, you'd prefer title. You're winning the title. So a belt is a belt is always a title, but a title is not always a belt. It's like a rhombus in a square. A belt is a is a physical manifestation of the title, which is the, which is I, what I, you are, which is what you receive when you win the belt. You physically sure. you you don't physically win the object. You're given the object. You do you do win the, the title. You do win the physical object. That's why I kind of think they're interchangeable. You you win the title. The title is what's on the line. The belt is the representation of it. I, I I totally agree. I just I also think I also think belt works. So I guess we'll just continue. I just had to say it. I just had to oh, say. Oh, no, I'm glad you let me know. No, no, well, no. It's, I don't even care. You can do whatever you want, but it's just because you use the word so many times consecutively that like I knew people would be listening. And saying, <laughs> He's got to not like that. So I just had to re- I had to reference it. That's all. All right. No title on the line in this match. Jeff Hardy against Sheamus in a bar fight. You know, starting with the Miz TV appearance, as with many things on SmackDown, I was completely indifferent to this. No love or hate. I just thought it was boring. Also found nothing at all special about the Jeff Hardy Miz match. Again, just plain boring. That said, the stipulation, man, the bar fight, I feel stupid because this was staring us in the face the entire time. And I can't believe I didn't see it as the obvious choice for, and I, I, assumed they, I just assumed they'd go with an Extreme Rules match, right? The bar fight is an Extreme Rules match in a bar, which makes complete sense given the storyline that they're giving us. I like the idea and can imagine Jeff Hardy doing a swanton bomb off a bar top or off a pool table. That would be really cool. It makes storyline sense. 
So I'm actually really excited for this match. Obviously, it's going to be pre-shot. It'll be cinematic. I used to love the stuff they did with APA in bars and when Steve Austin would be in a bar occasionally. So I'm all in on this, but I do hope ultimately this ends the feud because I'm definitely sick of Jeff Hardy and Sheamus by now. Yeah, I also think back to when Sheamus and Cesaro had a beat up a bunch of people in a bar, I think it was, and I thought it worked well. I just, I like the idea of a bar fight. I just, this whole, this whole feud with Jeff Hardy has been tough because he's gone through feuds like this before where he, def- where he talks about addiction and he's representing the people fighting addiction. And sometimes he comes out on top, sometimes he doesn't in these feuds. But then, you know, he, he'll, he'll relapse and have a problem. And it's tough if you're, it feels like you're just putting a lot of pressure on a guy when, when that's the kind of the gear, the, the gimmick of the, the feud. So it's tough. I, aside from, you know, in a vacuum, I think it'll, if it's assuming it's a cinematic look, I think it'll be entertaining and interesting. And I'm also ready for it to, to go on, uh, to, to move on to something else whenever that ends. So my pick yeah. is, my pick here is, uh, is Jeff Hardy. Yeah, I'm just I'm just done with Hardy and Sheamus. But this is a really good stipulation. I just I got to be honest for the feud that they're giving us, it's pretty smart, and I am excited for it. Uh, now we are. It seems like we're going three cinematic matches or two cinematic matches, maybe, and one stipulation that's going to use some type of CGI magic. So Seth Rollins versus Rey Mysterio in an eye for an eye match. As I said, I believe I said this previously. The, the stipulation being literal rather than metaphorical has been something that's bothered me from the very beginning. The fact that they have gone to the extent of saying that the winner of this match will be the person who extracts the other person's eyeball from their head, to me, is just a step too far, not in terms of gruesomeness. You can show me blood and guts. It's not going to bother me. All that stuff. What, but, what about Vader? What about Vader's eye popping out? Is that what we're going yeah. for? Uh, right. Like, like what exactly is the end goal here? So because of that, I thought that Rollins promo on Monday night did a lot for me in terms of anticipating the match, my anticipation level, addressing the absurdity of the stipulation, not only existing, but being the literal rather than the metaphorical, like I just said, while still continuing the storyline without having to go basically head to head on the mic with Rey Mysterio. So I thought his promo set up this match great. Again, addressing the absurdity of the stipulation worked for me as a fan because I do find it absurd. And the starting off point, I'm going to pause right there on Monday night. I loved what they were giving us in terms of this match. Yeah, no, it it was a good promo. Like I said earlier, it it took us back to the beginning of this, which is something I the last couple of weeks kind of wanted to hear again because I was trying to remember, Okay, Rollins freaked out. That was the night that Becky announced she was pregnant and and he attacked Ray and, and he was really weird on that tag team match sitting on, on the on the apron there. So it took us back to why he wanted to lose. It took us back into the character as opposed to advancing a story for uh, as opposed to just another plot point moving forward. So uh, I thought it was good to move forward. I'm just curious what this means now, because if Ray loses, does he have zero eyes? Because Seth kind of hinted at that as well, that he wouldn't be able to see anything anymore. So I guess, well, you, you give me your pick first. But I, I thought it was, I, I liked what we got on Monday. Uh, but as, as for Sunday, I assume it's going to be cinematic too. Uh, what's your pick? Well, I think there's two parts to this. First, before I even get to the pick, I just wanted to finish talking about what actually happened Monday on Raw. 
which was Owens defeating Rollins. And I mentioned last week, but it's strange for the heel to actually be outnumbered so drastically, four versus two in a feud like this, when Rollins is supposed to be the one leading a group or a faction, really. I mean, if you count everyone that is supposed to be with him, he does have a legitimate faction. So for him to be outnumbered four versus two in that scenario, I thought was strange. Um, Mysterio's down an eye, but Rollins' roster is deflated without Austin Theory, without AOP. And Owens needed that much help just to be able to compete with Rollins, a guy he beat one-on-one at WrestleMania. So that bothered me throughout that entire segment. Nevertheless, the match between the two was good. And even if the referee missed what has historically been a clear disqualification, eye gouging, which Rollins did blatantly to Owens right in front of the ref, they just worked so well together that it was a natural mix and it was ultimately an entertaining match. Losing that match did not hurt Rollins, given the fact that it was four versus two. But if he loses again Sunday, then he will have done absolutely nothing but lose over the last four months and somewhat unnecessarily have taken losses two weeks in a row. So I don't really have a clear pick for this match. I think most matches, I have a really good idea who's going to win. On one hand, Mysterio could show up, remove the eye patch and have two working eyes again. And Rollins could remove one of his eyes and then they get into a really big match. <laughs> I know, sounds so I weird. know, it's so ridiculous. And then they could get into a match at SummerSlam, Hell in a Cell, let's say, right? Or I don't even know how they would do that in the PC, but some really huge stipulation match that is the blow off to the entire feud. Or Rey Mysterio wins, pulls out one of Rollins' eyes, Rollins starts wearing an eye patch, and then you assume for a period of time he's out of commission or unable to wrestle, but then you also don't have much of a reason for them to have another match at SummerSlam. I don't see Rollins having a different feud for SummerSlam. I don't see Mysterio having a different feud for SummerSlam. By the way, according to Dave Meltzer, Rey Mysterio is currently wrestling without a contract, right? now. he's just wrestling month to month or, or week to week or however they're paying him under the terms of his current deal. He is not signed to WWE. So I don't exactly know what the hell the plan is. But for them to have gone this far with Mysterio and Rollins and Dominic and all the stuff they're doing and have it end at Extreme Rules doesn't make sense. The ending should be at SummerSlam. So I think I'm picking Seth Rollins to win and extract one of Rey Mysterio's eyes. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I think I think what happens is what you predicted would happen months ago. Okay. And that is that okay. Dominic turns on Rey and Seth wins. I don't know what that means for SummerSlam. I don't know what that means for Ray if he has zero eyes. Uh, but that's going to be my pick. You, 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 you know, it was something they, they even alluded to it. When he turns on him and, and costs his father an eye. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know why. They'll explain it the next day. Dominic will cut a promo. He's delusional because Seth got to him. You've had your eyes on the wrong prize, Papa. <laughs> Poppy. Yeah. Some, some, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm expecting a Dominic turn. It was so obvious, like for a number of weeks, that they just addressed it head on and didn't do it. That I think now this is a great time to come back to it. It, and, it would and be I, a good swerve. It would. Yeah, that that's that's my pick. Yeah, maybe maybe even from the standpoint of he doesn't want his father to go to those extremes. I mean, Seth is setting up this match that Mysterio's lost his mind somewhat. Where Rollins expected any other type of stipulation, like he said. But for Ray to go this far, 
was shocked even him. So maybe it also is shocking Dominic. And he's trying to save his father by doing this. I don't know. You're right. I don't know. Like, I, I, like I, that almost sounds like a Randy Orton trying to do this for the sake of edge. Yeah, right. Type of thing. I don't know. I, I don't know if he gets. I, I, I'm hoping it's something like where he gets brainwashed because we kind of got to get back to Seth influencing people and stuff like that. And that group needs to go uh, get bigger. Like you said, no theory, no AOP. I mean, man, I just wish. I don't, I don't remember whether Acom or Rizar. I don't remember which one is the one who hurt himself. I think Torn Pectoral. There's no reason the other isn't on TV as muscle for Seth. It, yeah. it makes no sense why they're not there. It's just, it's just stupid. Um, but okay, anyway, got another one. Another cinematic match, definitely. Braun Strowman as champion, not defending his title. So a non-title match against Bray Wyatt in a Wyatt Swamp fight with Wyatt serving as the, uh, what, what do you want to call that? The cult leader version, yeah. I guess, of his character. Sure. Uh, now, I'm going to assume that a segment or two got canceled on SmackDown this week due to someone testing positive. Otherwise, replaying that empty arena match, that bad empty arena match on SmackDown was a horrible decision. Imagine already watching a show with a limited audience and WWE saying, you know what, we're going to pause this and give you a match with no audience for you to enjoy. The show was bad enough on its own. They did not need to do that replay on SmackDown. Now back to the so Smack- wait wait wait, but but, but in, in how would you have felt? I, I I saw that and kind of felt. What if they had played the Firefly Funhouse instead? The the promo, the the the, the John Cena. Th- I'm sorry, the John Cena match, the Firefly Funhouse match from WrestleMania, that that made Bray look big and great and whatever. I, I just think leading replaying- into that. I just think they have enough people that they don't need to be replaying anything. Okay, that that's fine. I, I just talked talk, if you were going to replay a match, that was I thought a weird one to go with. If they had said something along the lines of like if Braun had said, Hey Bray, you're not gonna get in my mind the way you did John Cena's the week prior, and Bray was like, Oh yeah, you don't think so? And then they said, Hey, we're gonna replay it this week and show you that match, that may have worked. But they just kind of said, Hey, we don't have, for some reason they couldn't do something with this storyline. So they're just like, hey, we're just going to give you the replay of this match, which isn't the version of the Bray Wyatt character that we're going to get. Didn't advance the storyline. It just happened. So them giving it to us free, quote unquote, doesn't really matter when anyone these days pretty much who's watching SmackDown is probably watching or watched that already on the WWE Network. It was a waste of time. It wasn't very good and it didn't help the storyline. So for me, it was just nothing. It was worthless. Yeah. Okay. Now back to the match itself. Uh, They're clearly going to go the cinematic route here. And that's the right decision, certainly. I actually do have really high hopes for this. Um, I believe the production is going to come through considering what my state, Florida, has to offer by means of swamps, unique type of scenery, fan boats, all the things that you can do in and around a swamp lends itself really well to the concept of a cinematic match in even a greater way than the Boneyard match did. You know, they created that set. This is something that actually exists in nature. So similar to the ultimate deletion and some of the things that Matt Hardy did, where he had that compound and was able to create it to be the best version of itself to lend itself to a cinematic match. I believe that WWE has found a location here where this is going to work in a great way. My biggest problem is this is your number one build match on SmackDown. And it's pretty much an eye roller because we know it doesn't matter who wins this match. We're going to get The Fiend and Braun Strowman next, most likely at SummerSlam. And The Fiend is probably going to beat Braun Strowman. Otherwise, if Braun beats The Fiend three times or if he beat him the first time, loses to the cult leader, and then beats The Fiend, The Fiend's dead. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think we all see Braun winning this. I'm, I'm really excited for it. I, I think it's going to be a wacky, cool type of thing. You know, you think about the House of Horrors and how, how poorly that went, and, and you hope it's not that. But they, I, I think WWE's done a really good job with a lot of this cinematic stuff. Not everyone's a home run, but I think they've generally been pretty good. And and it, even if they're not great, they're still entertaining. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm watching. It has my interest. And that's all I'm really asking for with my wrestling right now. And, and so I, I, I have, I have high hopes uh, looking for this. I'm, I'm curious what the set's going to be, how it's, how it's going to go. But I, I, I have, I have high expectations and, and high hopes. Who do you think wins considering it is a non-title match? I, I know I just said, I think Braun's going to win, but I, I keep forgetting it's a non-title match. <laughs> you get to just remind me again. I think that does, Man, that does open the door for a Bray win and then a Fiend win. Because why else would the? I still think, I still think you can get away with Bronze defeated Bray twice. Bray can get another shot because it's the Fiend and it's a different character, kind of like a three faces of Foley type of thing. I I think Braun wins. I think they want to give him some momentum. They've highlighted him being a hundred day champion recently. So I'm still gonna go with Braun uh, winning. So I am too. I think it being a non-title match, the easy story is for Wyatt to win and say, you know, hey, you know, I beat you. You clearly can't overcome me. Not only can you not overcome your past, you can't overcome your future, which is the Fiend and I want a title match, right? That would make sense in terms of a storyline. But I think what makes better sense is that WWE didn't put the title on the line in this match because it's a swamp fight. And can you imagine, I mean, forget you, I know I would have gone absolutely apeshit if they had a universal championship match in a swamp. I would have told you it was stupid and that WWE wasn't treating the title with respect and how could it actually be defended in a circumstance like this. So they saved me from crapping all over. I, I feel like that is why this is a non-title match so that people didn't criticize the fact that the title was going to be on a line in a stipulation like this. Because ultimately, I do think you have to have Braun Strowman win. The better booking of all of this is he overcame the Firefly Funhouse, the happy-go-lucky Bray. He overcame his past in the cult leader, Bray Wyatt. But Wyatt can kind of say, hey, Braun, yeah, you've escaped your past, whatever, but your future is here waiting for you. And the Fiend is going to take it. Take not just your soul or whatever he's going to say, but also the universal title that belongs to me that I deserve back. So I do think that Braun wins. I think that Bray has a pretty good way to convince him to give him another opportunity to another fight. And certainly Bray's going to do a far better job than I ever could. Um, but I do think that Braun will win and I don't think it will hurt the concept of having one more match at SummerSlam Fiend versus Strowman for the Universal Championship. Yeah, exactly what you said. And, and frankly, I think Braun has to win because if cult leader Bray wins, then why would he even need to go to the right. Fiend? And, and so. Braun would look weak, which is unnecessary at this point. Yeah. Braun, yeah. And Braun's, Braun's already a weak Universal Champion, despite being yeah. like, huge. You they know? have not. They have not made him into the dominant, aggressive champion that Drew Drew McIntyre is, and that's exactly what Braun should be as well. So maybe a win here is at least a step toward that. Three more matches on the card. It looks like we have someone joining us. Uh, which uh, puppy is that? Uh, we have seven puppies. They're two or oh, three okay. weeks old now, and they're in the other room, but they're just starting to wake up. So one is very hungry for sure. There's yes, no question about that. Mom came up. 
Uh, SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey defending her title against Nikki Cross. The tag team match on SmackDown was so repetitive that I was completely indifferent to it. Uh, just another indication of how horribly that episode was written and booked. I've already said it multiple times on the show. That said, we all know this is kind of just a hold me over type of feud for Bailey to get another title defense. As we presumably wait her showdown with Sasha Banks, she's beaten everyone else on SmackDown. It's kind of weird that Bailey's the one who needs opponents, yet Asuka was the one who got Sasha Banks. Like, there are other women on Raw who theoretically could have challenged Asuka for the title. Meanwhile, it's Sasha in that situation. Here, I mean, she's just going to beat Nikki Cross again. I think they've done a decent job of having Nikki Cross getting into Asuka's head. Sorry, getting into Bailey's head. But I can't imagine a title change here, can you? Yeah, it's kind of, you can't, I feel like we kind of have to pair these two women's matches together because there's an opportunity here for essentially the two women power trip to happen. And it, I feel like I, it's hard to talk about one without the other. I don't see, I don't know, part of me feels like they have done a good job building up Nikki Cross and maybe this is, maybe Nikki Cross wins, gets a championship moment, Bailey takes it back in a few weeks or something like that and they move forward. Or maybe Bailey wins, maybe Sasha wins and they've got the two women power trip going on or maybe nothing changes. So it, it, I, I keep bouncing back and forth between all these, but if, if I had to pick one, I think, I think Bailey wins. I think Bailey wins this one. It just would seem, I mean, Bailey's been champion for a long time and it seems like at that point, the person who beats her needs to be significant. And, and while they have done a good job, like we both just said, building Nikki Cross, it doesn't feel like she's important enough given their booking of her and Alexa to be the person who beats Bailey. Yeah. Like, like you want to get that rub and it doesn't feel like the rub in this case is totally deserved, despite me very much liking Nikki Cross and thinking she would be a fantastic women's champion for SmackDown. It doesn't feel like based on the booking, like they're going in that direction. So I'm going to stick with Bailey retaining the title and then we can just move on to the Raw Women's Championship match. Asuka defending her title against Sasha Banks. Between the Wyatt Swamp fight and the fact that Drew McIntyre is defending on the show, it may be unlikely for this to main event. But if we're being honest, it probably should. You're talking about two of the five maybe best women's wrestlers in the entire world. Two of the most over people in WWE right now. With an opportunity to continue the incredible wrestling that we've seen, not just on Monday night in the tag team match we talked about earlier, but from Sasha Banks over the last four to six weeks, right? So I have no expectations that Sasha will ultimately win this match, of course. Asuka's been on a run. She's just got the title. It seems like they're building up Shayna Baszler again. Bianca Belair is back. There are other things that Asuka can do, by the way, on Raw Talk. Kyrie Singh kind of intimated that if Asuka retains, she would love an opportunity at the title. That would be awesome, right? Um, also, Sasha Banks is not on Raw. She's a SmackDown superstar. We know all of these things. And I still <laughs> well, expect... Well. <laughs> we talked about it a couple weeks ago, whether or not that counts with the tag belts. Oh, right. But I'm saying she is a SmackDown superstar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, her brand is SmackDown right now. Whether whether we like what they're doing or not, she is a SmackDown superstar. Um, and I do still expect that feud with Bailey to happen. But like you just kind of mentioned a few minutes ago, what if they actually pulled the trigger on the two-woman power trip? I mean, on one hand, you could say it would be great because they deserve it. It would work really well together and the eventual split up. It would also give us more time. It would allow us to drag up that split up until either the Royal Rumble or maybe even WrestleMania 37, potentially. Um, but... They'd have a lot of consolidated power. All the titles would be held 
by the two of them. Maybe potentially they would drop the tag team titles, but each remain champions and be separated. But then you're separating them. Maybe they both lose their individual titles, but remain tag champions. And then eventually that would blow up and that could lead to the animosity that would eventually have them feud. I'm not exactly sure the direction that they're going to go, but I do think there is a chance that Sasha Banks beats Asuka and they hold, they consolidate the titles between the two of them. Yeah, that's where I'm leaning. For people who don't know what the reference is, the the two-man power trip was Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin in 2001 uh, after WrestleMania, but before the invasion, I think. And... It was uh, Triple H and they had the tag belts, the WWE WF Championship and the Intercontinental Championship. Triple H, they lost they lost that match to uh, Benoit and I think Jericho and Triple H got hurt. And that was kind of the end of it. And I I wanted them years ago when when Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins had teamed up when Owens was the NXT champ and Rollins was the WWE champ. I wanted a two man power trip there. I thought those guys would have been great together. Um, I've always kind of wanted WWE to, to redo this somehow. And I think, I think Sasha and Bailey have been the hottest thing in wrestling for more than a month now. I think they pull the trigger and go all in on them even further. And, and maybe they drop the tag team belts next, like you said. Uh, but I, 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 maybe, maybe there's a rematch and someone loses down the road, but I think they give them this moment. I think they've been, Great, you know, celebratory jerks. And I, I think this could even put it over another level. I think they pulled the trigger. So you're saying ultimately your prediction is going to be for Sasha Banks to win the title? Yes. Okay. I'm going to stick with the tried and true. Uh, I'd love to make that prediction. I'd love to go out there on the limb. I'm going to stick with Oscar retaining the title. Bailey somehow costing her maybe distracting the ref at the wrong time or something like that. Sasha not being happy. And I think we may see the seeds of dissent start to grow a little bit more. Um, look, it'd be interesting if this happened early in the show and Bailey, Nikki Cross happened and Banks, quote unquote, accidentally cost Bailey the title. And then they're just the tag team champions. And then eventually they lose those and then the split happens. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I think they want to do the blow off, the turn, whatever, when when you have fans and I think they need a way to continue to extend this because we're still not sure when. That's yeah, but happen. the problem with that, dude, is and you know this because we cover you and I both cover college football. I mean, it, it could be indefinite, like, like OK, yep, at some at some point, fans are going to come back. Right. And we're going to have a vaccine and hopefully everything goes semi back to normal. Right. We all hope. But at this point. I don't see that happening, certainly at SummerSlam, not through the end of... I don't think WWE will air a pay-per-view outside of the Performance Center until 2021. And honestly, I don't even know if it's going to be the Royal Rumble. I think maybe WrestleMania, they have a chance of happening. So if they want to have this drag on until WrestleMania, then yeah, you're probably right. Maybe the best thing to do is for Sasha to win the title, hold it for two months, and then lose it. My issue is the build for Sasha has been so good right now. It's the best it's ever been. She is the best wrestler she's ever been. She's the best promo worker she's ever been. She's the most intriguing that she's ever been. The character is the best it's ever been. Everything with Sasha is operating at a 9 out of 10 right now. The 10 out of 10 is winning that title. And I think if you give it to us at Extreme Rules on a throwaway pay-per-view and have her beat Asuka, 
I think it hurts Oscar. I think it doesn't benefit Sasha the same way that potentially winning the title off Bailey ultimately would. So that would be my biggest concern because I think Bailey Sasha Banks in a singles match, a rivalry singles match, works. Huge, very good. Bailey Sasha Banks for a women's championship could main event WrestleMania 37. Yeah. Yep, that's that's kind of where I stand with it. So th- so I'm going to go with Asuka retaining and we'll see. I hope I'm wrong cuz honestly I think it'd be cool. But I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe I'm getting too into my head of how I would book versus how WWE actually likes to book. Maybe the more realistic choice is Sasha Banks. But we will finish up here with the WWE Championship Drew McIntyre defending his title against Dolph Ziggler with a stipulation that Ziggler will supposedly announce Sunday night at the pay-per-view. In terms of the opening Raw segment, it got the job done to promote this match. And it also provided a little bit of intrigue with Ziggler popping off on the mic and allowing McIntyre to show that Ziggler had got to him, basically. And was he was taking this seriously. He wasn't being as flippant, maybe, as he had been recently. And of course, before we talk about the match itself, gotta give props to my man Dolph Ziggler, at Heel Ziggler, on Twitter for this absolute gem of a sound drop that will be part of the Getting Over soundboard for the remainder of this podcast. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. And also thank you to Dolph for retweeting us when we tweeted that on Monday. <laughs> that popped me. It had to pop you just from hearing it. I don't even know if you like um, Animal House or not, but I got popped so huge on that. I got to be honest. Yeah, no, it's it's been a good drop, and I, I'm glad we got an even better one now. Yeah, so cool, so cool. So thank you, Dolph, for that. Uh, now, given the lack of normal Extreme Rules stipulations, I'm actually glad that this is something they're going to surprise us with, because if they just made this a chairs match or a kendo stick match or something like that, you kind of be like, want, want, going into the show. Hey, even if they ultimately on the show kind of say, hey, it's going to be a kendo stick match or a no finishers match, you can't use... The Claymore, I can't use the zigzag or the super kick or whatever the case might be. At least I am interested in what the ultimate payoff is going to be for a match that, you know, in my opinion, got thrown together due to circumstances, whether coronavirus related or not. Maybe just booking wise, they didn't know what they were going to do and they didn't want to give us Lashley again. No matter what, this is going to be a good match because Ziggler's a good worker. The build over the last couple of weeks has done a very good job saving what was pretty mediocre at the very start. And like I said, I am interested ultimately in what the stipulation is going to be for this match. Uh, you know, when, when Ross started and Ziggler was out there talking kind of sarcastically, it felt like felt like a pre-pandemic WWE opening where the heel and everybody, there's just so much sarcasm in all the voice. And even Drew was doing it a little bit and I was kind of getting annoyed that that was happening. And then... Drew says, shut up. Yeah. And immediately gets serious, gets in his face. And like, whoa, like I felt that watching my TV. And it ended up being a pretty good segment. And man, I I feel like I feel this every week. Nobody just imagine if Drew McIntyre had a crowd behind him right now. This guy is killing it every week. He's doing everything a fan would love if he was if fans were there in the crowd he'd be getting the biggest pops he is just on another level since he's been the champion he's everything you want him to be he's everything they wanted roman to be way back when and he just he doesn't have that crowd behind him and i just hope it's he's able to hold on to this until that happens because man he is just absolutely killing it and 
Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I've seen a lot of people, not a lot, I shouldn't say, a couple people say they don't actually like what Drew McIntyre is doing. But I think those are just people that are beholden to the crowd reaction because you're right. From the Royal Rumble victory and the response that got, he and all the things that all the responses he got on Raw where he claimed the shit out of Brock Lesnar, if you mm. remember that segment mm-hmm. and some of the promos he cut, that win over Lesnar would have been massive. It would have been such a huge moment for him. And you're right. The Lashley stuff would have gotten over pretty strong. The stuff with Dolph, even though it was rushed a little bit, you know, with Dolph breaking the fourth wall a little, Heath Slater randomly showing up, that would have gotten a huge pop. If this was in front of fans, they would have legitimately loved all this. And I think this is another match they would have loved too. Yeah, like imagine the reaction if you hear that loud, deep, shut up. Like, you'd be like, whoa, you'd get that from the crowd, man. And, yeah. and, and as for this match, I kind of don't, I don't feel like it should be all that long because Drew hasn't really gotten over I'm sorry, Dolph hasn't really gotten over on Drew throughout any of this. Drew has been smart. I mean, Drew has been smart. Drew has been dominant, physical. Physically, Dolph has no chance one-on-one. That's why I'm very curious about the stipulation and the idea that Drew is uncertain. It could catch him off guard. I think it's what could give Dolph the upper hand early on in a match where where you can explain why Drew is struggling and Dolph Dolph was preparing for the stipulation. Drew had no idea. So it's a good way to extend the match that otherwise I don't think should have been very long. I think it'll be good. Dolph is obviously great. Drew's been great. Uh, Obviously, obviously I think Drew's going to win. But uh, yeah, I I thought it was a good step forward on Monday and I I think the match will be perfectly serviceable and pretty good on, on, on Sunday. See, I actually feel that Dolph kind of has had Drew's number this entire time. He's, he's got he's he's gotten over on him mentally, mentally, but physically, yeah. Drew's standing tall every single time. And that right, but the, that's the problem: is that all these other people, his challengers to this point, have tried to get over him physically, mm-hmm. where Dolph is kind of taking the opposite direction. And, and if you really think about it from a storyline standpoint, the initial challenge, avoiding the Claymore, bringing Heath Slater in, avoiding the Claymore again, which, by the way, I think that ultimately will be the stipulation. Um, and Ooh. then, yeah, just, we, we didn't talk about guest stipulation, but that's yeah. a great call. It, it's yeah. back to back to kind of like the Kevin Nash can't use the, the jackknife powerbomb days. Exactly. So that is my total expectation for the stipulation. But and then even in this, yeah, I think he did get punched in this scenario. But otherwise, he got into his head. He got into his head with this, with Slater, et cetera. So, you know, I said it with the Kofi Kingston storyline where he, where Dolph had to sub in out of nowhere for Kevin Owens. He's making chicken salad out of chicken shit again in terms mm-hmm. of the situation. Not that the storyline's bad. It's not. But he is making it into something. And Dolph deserves a lot of credit for that. So just really pleased with the build for this, even though, yeah, I don't think it's a huge highlight main event match. And that is why I do think that Asuka and Sasha Banks do have a chance to main event this pay-per-view. But I do think that it's going to be no Claymore. And I do ultimately think, of course, that Drew McIntyre will win and retain the title. Yeah. Uh, every Drew is just so cool. Like he yeah. just oozes that that confidence and that cool factor again coming out in street clothes looks great every week wearing that stuff looks looks just enormous. And I think if we had normal society going on and you could have Drew out there doing radio interviews for every local town and doing stuff, he could be he could become that crossover guy. It's tough even though wrestling is one of the only things going on right now, no, you can't really jump into anything. So it's not like Drew could become a star in the situation because there's way more important things that everybody else is talking about in their daily life. But man, he is 
just he's he's cool, he's aggressive, he's not being stupid. He's everything you want in a in a in a dominant face champion. Like it, it's the opposite of what Seth was, who was getting annoying on certain types of things. I think Drew's just just he's been absolutely everything they wanted him to be and needed him to be. And you just hope it, it can sustain until there's a crowd because he well, deserves it. Well, Seth turned into a goody two shoes. And then there was the extended storyline with Becky, which was but like he, he's talking about like, oh, I, I'm I'm fighting for the fans. You know, I want to take the belt away from Brock, that kind of thing. Drew was Drew going into the match with Brock was saying similar things and taught, you know, doing the crowd counts and stuff like that. He was doing some pretty corny things too, but it just can't, it just comes across as cool when he does it. I don't know. I think the, I think the Becky storyline hurt Seth, even though it was fine and it ended up being pretty good, I guess, mm-hmm. but I think it hurt Seth. It, it made him look like almost he needed her in that scenario. Cause he kept getting beaten by, you know, Baron Corbin anyway. And then just putting him in the match with the fiend was just bad booking from the very beginning. So that killed yeah. him. the fiend mm-hmm. killed, him. but, but they just, it was a long, it was a long reign. He was really, I mean, when he beat Brock, he was really over and people really loved that. He beat Brock mm-hmm. the way he did, but there just wasn't enough there meat wise for challengers and just him fighting uh, Baron Corbin as many times as he did was just ridiculous. But okay. That was our preview for ultimate preview. I should say for WWE extreme rules. And I did fail to mention it earlier in the show, but Sunday night immediately after, you know, the horror show at extreme rules, Immediately after that show is over, we will be back with instant analysis of WWE Extreme Rules right here on the podcast. Of course, we do have our normal Thursday episode breaking down everything that is going to happen in NXT and on AEW Dynamite. And if plans, you know, come forward, come to fruition as expected this week, I will also have a bonus interview podcast for you, perhaps Wednesday, perhaps Friday. I'm not exactly sure. We will see if I actually get the interviews that I have been promised. But right now, Chris, we're going to talk about what is coming up next. And that is NXT and AEW. NXT, not a great card. Damian Priest against Cameron Grimes in a mini grudge match that's kind of just developed over the past couple of weeks. And for the women, we have Io Shirai defending her NXT Women's Championship against Tegan Knox. I have every expectation that Shirai will retain the title. I do expect that to be the main event of the show. That said, I just think this NXT card is extremely weak. Um, They put a lot into Great American Bash. Look, NXT, total viewers won the ratings war three weeks in a row. So clearly what they did in terms of Great American Bash night one and hour two of it last week, it worked for them. The question is, are they actually going to win a fourth week in a row when AEW, Chris, is giving us Fight for the Fallen, which is not a great card necessarily. But does have a main event that just has multiple levels of intrigue right now. Before we get to that, we are going to have the Elite versus Jurassic Express. I kind of just throw that out. Cody defending the TNT title against Sonny Kiss again. Just kind of throwing that out. Now, the two main matches, though. FTR against the Lucha Bros for the first time ever and the AEW Championship on the line when Jon Moxley defends against Brian Cage in the main event to fight for the Fallen. What are you looking forward to Wednesday night on AEW? Honestly, I think... I think four of these matches should all be pretty good. I think Cody versus Sonny Kiss will be really interesting, just like his match with Mark Quinn was a, a couple weeks ago. FTR and Lucha Brothers. I mean, you have the ultimate, you know, flip ideas versus what FTR has always been for. 
Jurassic Express versus the Elite. You know, again, AEW tag matches are just a lot of fun. I think these will be four really good matches. And then Moxley versus Cage. I, I'm I'm very curious to see how this will go because I was not a fan of of Moxley versus um, uh, Brody Lee. Brody Lee. Uh, Moxley's been hit and miss, but he, he's another guy who needs a crowd, I think, to really get behind him to to kind of buy into him when you're when you're watching him on TV. Taz, you know, they introduced the the the, the WTF championship, which I thought was kind of FTW. Cool. FTW. Yeah, sorry, FTW championship. <laughs> uh, what what I say? A WTF. <laughs> yeah, yeah, FTW. Sorry, my, my bad, my bad. Yeah, w, 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 You know w, what? You know what, Chris? WTF to me on that one. You know what, Chris? When they introduced the FTW championship, I said WTF. Okay. <laughs> okay. So so I, I it's just a singles match. There's not any stipulations we know of. I, I think. You know, we've been supposed to get this obviously before at Fighter Fest. You know, uh, coronavirus changed things. So I'm curious to see where this goes. If they put the title on them, I'm not really sure. I feel like this could go any which way. Uh, just a lot of intrigue around it. And then the other matches, I think, will all be pretty good. Yeah, I'm by far looking forward to the most FTR and Lucha Bros. I think that's just going to be an absolutely sick match. I by hope the way, they that, that hand tag they had uh, last week. I know I wasn't Great. on the show, but, but uh, just unbelievable work by everybody involved there really fun stuff yeah that was a great match if i'm them by the way i open the show with this match i give it 30 minutes i take those first couple quarter hours from nxt i roll through with the rest of what should be a pretty good show and promote the hell out of moxley cage in the main event and i win the ratings war clear you know total viewers this week i just don't even know why they wouldn't do it that way but look being honest and we'll i'll talk about it more thursday sure I have not really been a big John Moxley fan in AEW. I like the stuff that he did in New Japan. In AEW, uh, you know what? It just feels like kind of pandering. It just feels like, hey, I used to be Dean Ambrose and you know I was held back. So everything I'm doing now is kind of just pandering to those, to those people that know that was the case. I, 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 li- I like the I don't find him entertaining. Did. Yeah, I, I, liked, I really like the Jericho feud. I think he's great as the chaser. I, I think it's not yes, as strong yes. as he's champion. He's got to have kind of a, he's got to have a grudge and an edge to him that he's reaching for something when he's already got it. It just, it feels like that edge is a little bit off. And by the way, that's what they found out in WWE when he was champion. It, it he, you know, it yep. wasn't as exciting as it was when he was challenging. So, you know, I, I don't think they put the title on cage. I also think that them bringing in the FTW title was just kind of, almost reactionary. They felt like maybe they didn't have something. They needed to have it. If Cage loses, the FTW title means nothing. If he wins, the FTW title means nothing. So um, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to Fight for the Fall and I do think it will be the better show this week. We will talk about all of that on Thursday on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Again, a reminder, there should be a very special interview episode to come later this week and we will be back Sunday night immediately after the horror show at Extreme Rules is off the air with instant analysis of WWE Extreme rules. So I appreciate everyone listening to the show. Obviously, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Follow me at Silverstein Adam. Follow Chris at Chris Vanini. And please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five star rating. Give us that five star review. Let us know why you watch the show or why you listen to the show, I should say. And take some advice from Finn Balor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me yeah go back to being marks for the getting over wrestling podcast and tell us why you are on apple Podcasts. five star ratings and reviews thanks long show today appreciate everyone listening to it chris says goodbye the silver king says goodbye that means there's only one more person left to send you out of here
something going that's oh, really big. Oh, yeah. Look in the video scope right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going. Yeah. We to the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And Hulk Hogan's got no chance, does he? No. Does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man or something? Am I the greatest wrestler, past, present, or future that ever lived? Why? Okay, let's say goodbye. Talk to you all soon. Bye for now.